check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And today we are going to be covering the NFC West, one of the most competitive divisions in the NFL. It's an awesome episode with some awesome guests. But before that, we bring back our signature news tidbit anchor, Julius Lux, to cover some news. How are we doing today, Julius? Doing a lot better. All settled in New York now, so I'm officially in the Empire State. Other than that, I am doing just fine. How about yourself? I'm doing very well. Doing very well. Just coming in from hanging out with my kids a little bit. So, you know, it's always fun. They don't they don't love to see you go, but I think we'll be <laughs> in and out pretty quick and they'll they'll be just fine. So we kind of had some big time breaking news on your on your one uh day off, I guess you of can course. call it. We had Dave come in and talk about Deshaun Watson being officially suspended, the uh agreement coming to a head but so that was fun we got some good stuff today some um big quarterback news some injury news so let's jump right into it what's the first of the day definitely i'd like to point out there's no deshaun watson news on this one so we could finally go one episode without talking about deshaun watson but we're gonna get right into it well we should have except i brought it up (laughs) yeah but at least we're not we're not sh- I'm I'm not the one saying it so at least at least yeah. we got that. So the goat Tom Brady he returns to Buccaneers training camp after taking some personal time away from football. This will end his 11-day break and on day 1 he looks sharp in his return to football activities. Shocker. Tom Brady <laughs> <laughs> looks good at playing football. <laughs> no, you know we talked about this and and my my take was like oh this is not a big deal even though it's a quarterback not being a training camp. It seems like the general media kind of had a field day with it. Oh, what does this mean? Does he mean, is he going to retire? Is he not coming back? What's happening? And so, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe maybe something crazy will come out. But at this point, it kind of seems like the initial reaction was the accurate one. I don't know if you heard the rumors of him being on The mass Singer. That was a possibility. I don't know if you heard those rumors <laughs> circulating around, but... Cameron Brate said it best. If anyone's going to have 11 days off, it's Tom Brady because he's going to come back and look sharp just like he did. Yeah, I kind of heard about that. I have no idea <laughs> if it's accurate or not. I, I don't know. But well, I guess we'll find out halfway through whenever the mask Singer airs. Which I guess so. Cannot say that I follow. Absolutely. I, I know I've never seen the show, but I guess we'll see if he ever reveals himself in this upcoming season. So next piece of news for you. The Carolina Panthers have announced Baker Mayfield will be the starting quarterback for the team. He beats out Sam Darnold, who was the starter last year, and Matt Corral, of course, who suffered an injury in the preseason. Yeah, talked about Matt Corral's injury on the preseason week two recap. Stinks for him, stinks for the Panthers. You know, I I was trying to give the benefit of the doubt, but it, I felt like they handled the whole quarterback situation so weirdly in the in the second week of, uh, of the preseason with P.J. Walker and Matt Corral going back and forth throughout the entire game. No Darnold at all. I guess that's just to make sure he doesn't get hurt. I, I'm not really sure because he's obviously the quarterback too. And Baker being named the quarterback one is definitely no surprise. I mean, I'm not sure even really what analysis there is to give on him because we all pretty much expected it, right? I agree. I mean, I think it speaks for itself when you trade for quarterback a year after you traded for another starting quarterback. It should definitely 
speak for itself who is going to be the starting quarterback. It's the guy who you just recently traded for. Mm-hmm. So next piece of news, we move to New York. The Giants reveal first-round pick Kayvon Thibodeau suffered a sprained MCL after a controversial cut block from Bengals tight end Thaddeus Moss. He expected to miss three to four weeks, but apparently he will be getting a second opinion on his knee just to make sure everything's all good to go. Yeah, uh, stinks for him. Obviously, it's good that he's going to be back relatively soon. The whole hit, I think, to me, it's overblown. Because we see guys go low all the time in pass protection, right? If you're not a good pass protector, one of these signature moves is to just go for the thighs, you know, trip them up, like slow them up. If you can't actually get hands on chest and, and block him, then you, you at least slow him up. So I, I didn't see it as a, as a problem. I think I'm not saying it's Thibodeau's fault, but that's just, that's just something you've got to be aware of. You've got to be ready for a guy coming across the formation and, and trying to cut you, you know? So it stinks, but I guess you'll be more aware next time. You know, that's, that's just my personal opinion. I know Giants fans in particular disagree with that, but <laughs> that's just how I feel. Yeah. I feel like in a way like rookie move, like rookie, rookie lesson to be learned when you put it in that way, definitely agree with you. So we're going to stick with Cincinnati real quick, speaking of them, because they're in that piece of news. But here's good news for Bengal fans. Jesse Bates is returning. The safety and the team agree to a franchise tag where he'll make just under $13 million this season. And, of course, the tag comes after both parties failed to reach a long-term extension, and he was holding out for some time. Yeah, this is rough for safeties because the franchise tag is so cheap for the position that – it's real easy for teams to put a franchise tag on you. And because they have some upcoming contracts in the next couple of years that they're going to have to dish out, you know, whether it's Burrow, whether it's Chase, you know, and you never know who else they're going to, they're going to find. I think safety has to be the position that you kind of prepare yourself to go a little cheaper at. So they drafted one in the first round and they said, look, you know, play for us this year and you know, you'll have to be on your way and get free agent money elsewhere. And, and I, I understand it's, it's kind of a hard line to take as a team, but sometimes you have to do that. And they they don't spend a ton of money generally, so they're not going to throw around cash for for veteran safety, I guess. Yeah, I guess we'll see moving forward what Jesse Bates' future holds. So Chase Young, defensive end for the Washington Commanders, will begin the NFL season on the PUP list. And this means the defensive rookie of the year in 2020 will automatically miss four weeks into the season. Yeah, I think this was kind of expected. There was talk that he might be ready sooner. I know Ron Rivera had mentioned Pup, PUP. Uh, so if you heard that, you were kind of like, okay, well, they're kind of expecting him to not be ready. So I don't know if he's going to miss maybe three games, like he, maybe two, three, and he'll be completely ready and be right back to go when the fourth game is done. Or if they put him on PUP because they're like, we don't know how long he's going to be you know, out of commission. So it's it's not unexpected, but it's probably not the news that Commanders fans were hoping for. From what I read, um, Ron Rivera specifically did say he's trying to be careful with Young, and this was before he was put on the PUP. And I think they understand they're not, you know, contenders in this division as of right now. I mean, we never know what we're going to get from Carson Wentz, of course, but 
comparing mm-hmm. to the Cowboys and Eagles, I don't think they can compete for a division title in their uh, in their division. So I think this is just a caution, just work him back and make sure he's 100% ready to go for whenever he returns. Yeah, and I think if he does reach his ceiling, he's just an incredible asset. Like a pass rusher with his physical ability, if he hits his ceiling, that's just not... You don't want to mess around with a young player's long-term potential, getting him hurt again or aggravating an injury when, you know... He just there's so much to lose, you know, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. Freaking nature in college, as we saw. And of course, you know, a very solid first year. So speaking of injuries, we're going to stick with that. Detroit Lions wide receiver Jamison Williams will be moved to the reserve non-football injury list. And he will also miss the first four games of this season. And if we remember, he tore his ACL in the national championship last year for Alabama. Yeah, and again, this was thoroughly expected. You know, I, I, I remember around the draft, there was chatter about him being ready to go for to start the season or even like ready to go for training camp or something crazy like that. That was never realistic. You know, we always kind of knew that he was going to be missing a, a chunk of the season. And he's probably another player that the coaching staff will be very careful with bringing him back. I don't think they're going to rush it. Especially you don't want to waste a first round pick. You want to take your time and make sure he is also 100%. And the last piece of news I got for you, the Raiders are expected to cut veteran running back Kenyon Drake. And with this move, Las Vegas will absorb a $3.6 million cap hit this season and $4.4 million in 2023 as a result to the release. So anytime you have a headline that says a player is expected to be released, essentially the team is saying, hey, who wants to come trade very, very little and take on his salary or at least part of his salary? Because... They're they're kind of in the hole for him already. And you know, dead dead cap is unspecific. It can either mean money that was already paid in a different year but prorated and it, it and that kind of dead cap is less detrimental, so to speak. And then there is the dead cap that comes from further guarantees for a season that you have to pay even if he's not on the team. And that's what he has. So he has two point five million in guaranteed salary, which another team would would take on. But they've also already paid him signing bonus or, or uh, I guess, roster bonus money this year. So, you know, totally different uh, regime, obviously, but still not the best look for them. I can see why they're trying to get something, if anything, back. They're probably going to they'd probably be willing to take a conditional pick if it got that two point five million off their books. I agree. And um, this also comes after, you know, they have a loaded running back depth they've got of course josh jacobs they got brandon bolden fourth round pick zamir white and they've got among others such as amir abdullah and some other veterans as well as in the fullback room jacob johnson so there's a lot of room out there and this comes this piece of news came after he met with dave ziegler who personally called him to tell him that they were moving on yeah yeah makes sense ugly contract but you know veteran running backs will often do that to you so All right. Thanks so much, Julius. I appreciate you coming back to break down the news for us and let everybody know where they can find you. So you can find me on Twitter, GotJuice44. That's on Twitter. You can find me on GridironHeroics.com. Just look up my name and you'll find all the episodes I've appeared on as well as my articles. And on Facebook, that's Julius Lux for you. Beautiful. We will see you again very soon, specifically this Friday. Sounds good. I'll see you then. All right, everybody, let's do our first team preview on this 
NFC West divisional episode. We are going to be looking at the Seattle Seahawks, and for that, I have two guests, one brand new and one returning. First of all, I have Julie Miller. She covers the Seahawks for gridironheroics.com as well as the Saints, and she is currently studying epidemiology with a focus on sports injury at Tulane. How you doing, Julie? I'm doing great. How you doing? I'm fantastic. I'm excited to talk about some Seattle Seahawks here today and, of course, every other team coming up. We also have Jonah Perez. Jonah was on with us for our Patriots segment. He covers the Patriots for GridironHeroics.com as well as the USC Trojans. And he lives in Washington just a couple hours outside of Seattle. So he's very, very well versed with the Seahawks as well. How are we doing, Jonah? I'm doing great. Absolutely great. Just a little early. <laughs> yeah, well... Being on the West Coast, we do kind of put you in a spot mm-hmm. to wake up early. Sorry about that. Appreciate it's you. Good. Appreciate mm-hmm. you working with us. Okay, guys. Let's jump right into the Seahawks. Okay. The once great Seattle Seahawks uh, went to multiple Super Bowls, won one cur- consistently, fought for the division title, a little bit of a step back last year. We're going to see what it looks like, what our opinions are on them going forward. So, Definitely had some big-time off-season losses in terms of guys that have been there for a very long time. So I won't spend a lot of time on that. But obviously, we have to mention that Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, offensive and defensive leaders, are both gone at this point. But let's talk about who came in and who are going to be the new faces and who are going to be the key additions for the 2022 season. Julie, why don't you give me your first that you believe will be the biggest impact? Yeah, I'm looking forward to what we're going to see from Charles Cross. He was in the top, the draft rankings for almost every team. He was the first pick for the Seahawks, ninth overall. And so he has a big uh, claim to to fame here. And uh, so I'm interested to see what he's going to do this season. He's done really well in the preseason so far. He has an 82.2 pass blocking grade, and he's has showed a lot of strong effort so far, which is uh, conducive with him being an ultimate competitor, which is one of his things that they've mentioned so far on the team and when he was in college. Plus, his uh, nickname is Sweet Feet, which I like because it's uh, <laughs> from, uh, from Mississippi State because of his agility and footwork. So I'm... I'm going to look forward to seeing the sweet feet on the on the field this season. Yeah, you know, he's an interesting prospect coming out of coming out of Mississippi State because the offense that they run there is so pass heavy, but it's so it's so quick pass heavy too. So he had a lot more pass sets than other top tackles coming out of the draft, but also a lot of a lot of quick throws that didn't necessarily challenge him for like the, you know, 3 to 4 second pass pro length of, you know of blocking so I'm curious to see how he does I, mm. I I think it was great that the Seahawks were able to get him with the ninth overall pick they had a couple of places that they needed to add guys but tackle is the biggest one if you don't have a guy who can block it up your offense is probably not going to function that well Jonah what about you who would you say is your biggest offseason addition I mean I'll add with uh the tackle uh comment in that uh the right tackle uh Abraham Lucas also has done really well and is pretty similar in that in college he uh pass blocked most of the time and so something i was thinking with him and then also with cross is the fact that if there's a team that knows how to teach how to run block it's the seattle seahawks their issue has been pass blocking Mm. 
in recent years. So both of these tackles is a huge addition. And then the other player I would mention would be Kenneth Walker, although right now he's hurt with a sports hernia. Uh, the running back from uh, Michigan State uh, should have probably been on the Heisman ballot, just tearing everything up. And it's exactly what uh, the Seahawks look for. But right now he does have a sports hernia. So we'll see. Yeah, he's a he's he's a very good player. I, there were a lot of people who felt like he was the number one back coming out of college this year. And I think it was probably uh, probably a real conversation until Brees Hall kind of showed out at the combine and showed off that, that athleticism and that pushed him up a little bit. But Kenneth Walker is a very good player. And I, I think the offensive line has been a question for the Seahawks for a while now. Like you said, they have been pretty good at run blocking. It's it's easier to teach technique for run blocking. It's hard to teach the mentality for run blocking necessarily. So so we'll see how it directly translates, but it's harder to teach a technique for pass blocking. So, you know, there are pros and cons with the kinds of players that they brought in, but it is interesting that they went for players with similar skill sets and similar experience because the offense uh, for for Lucas was not too terribly different than what they were doing at Mississippi State with Cross. All right, let's hone in on the offense in particular. We've mostly been talking offense up to this point, but let's actually hit a strength and weakness for the unit. If there is something that's going to guide the way for the offense to be competitive and legitimate and transition to the new quarterback situation, whether that's long-term or not, Julie, what do you think the strength of the offense is? Yeah, so I dug deep and found out because <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit of a struggle, just going to be honest about that. But I think it, uh, our veterans are going to be what carries us. We have a strong wide receiver uh, core and running, hopefully running backs. So obviously Metcalf and Lockett will still be there, the, the duo there. Um, they showed out last year and, well, pretty much every year, and we're going to keep Metcalf for another several couple years and so that'll be great um assuming that they actually get the ball at any point in time <laughs> um the assumption also being for Noah Fant I'm really looking forward to him he's now going to be our uh, first starting uh tight end so that I have faith in his capabilities but that would also mean that he would need to get the ball but we do have some veterans now if we can't have someone throwing maybe they can hand it because we do have some we have some running backs that are decent. We did lose Alex Collins and Chris Carson unfortunately and uh and Russell Wilson and he was our top for uh rusher last year. So that's a big loss. But Rashad Penny showed out last year. Hopefully that's a trend that keeps going. I'm not going to assume that it's not, but I do value consistency and that wasn't the case before. Mm-hmm. Um and we also have a uh, I'm always a DJ Dallas fan because we usually know what we're going to get. And he comes in really, really helpful um, with his returning yards. He showed out with that. So I'm hoping that, and he did some great things already in the preseason. So fingers crossed that we have strong people on either if you can throw it or hand it. So hopefully the quarterback will be able to do one or the either some of the time. Yeah, there's no doubt that the receiver room for you guys is pretty pretty stacked at the top of the group. I mean, DK Metcalf is one of the better young wide receivers in the NFL. Tyler Lockett has been very good for a very long time. And I think he's still, he's probably kind of getting to the tail end of his prime, but he's still right there and he can still have a really big season. 
question definitely is getting the ball where it needs to go. I'm not going to lie. I didn't watch preseason week number two for them yet, but I was not super impressed with quarterback play in preseason a week one. So hopefully that turns around a little bit. Jonah, what about you? Why don't you hit us with a potential weakness for this uh, offensive unit? I could say quarterback. I could say offensive line, but those are the obvious ones. The one I'm going to go for is the health of the running backs every year. There's like three or four of them get injured. Um, and they just lost Chris Carson, who had to retire. This is the third Seahawk to retire from a neck injury, which is just really bizarre. Kenneth Walker, as I mentioned, already has a sports hernia issue. And so you're left with DJ Dallas, who's fine. Travis Homer, he's fine. Penny, inconsistent, like Julie mentioned. And that's just such a big part of their offense. Uh, in order to get some play action, in order to get Metcalf and Lockett open and give Geno more time, because it's probably going to be Geno Smith because of uh, Drew Locke and uh, because he, uh, he got COVID. Mm-hmm. And uh, week three preseason is not enough to win the starting job. So it's probably going to be Geno. And you need to be able to run the ball, especially for S- Seattle. Because they, as you know, this phrase, Seattle likes the ground to pound. Same as the Jets of the 2010s and stuff. Run the football, play good defense, and that's what they want to do. So we'll see about the running back health, the health of the running back room. but. In past years, it's just consistently always multiple of them injured all at once. Yeah, you know, running the ball generally does limit turnovers. It may be not the most efficient in today's NFL, but there's so much talk about what their mentality is about, how they want to run their offense. I don't think we have even nearly enough time to dive into that conversation right now, but there's no doubt that they do want to run the ball, and you need guys to carry the ball if you want to run it. So we'll see how it shakes out. I think sports hernia is something that he should be able to come back from it would be nice to have him get those preseason reps but we we do see that rookie running backs are more more prepared to contribute than a lot of other young positions so i definitely see it as a concern but until until we until we see it i'm i'm kind of quietly optimistic about walker and his role so let's jump over to the defense julie i'm going to make you go a little bit more negative right now Fortunately, I try to I try to share the the negativity a little bit around if I can. When you're looking at this defense, what do you think would hold it back from having a solid year? Yeah, I don't know if solid is the way I would describe the defense most years, but I would say that on average, it's pretty middle of the road. So we were 12th overall last year. We were 31st for two different things, um, passing defense and kicking and punting against. Um, So hopefully we can pull those numbers up. My big concern is we traded Wagner and we really haven't we have the same people and then some rookies. So I don't know if there's any reason to believe that it's going to get a huge improvement. Good thing. It's not the biggest problematic side of the (laughs) side of the ball, but we also have some, we do have an exciting prospect. Um, with uh, Mafe. Yeah, Boye boy Mafe. Yeah, he's the second string as a rookie, which is really impressive. So he's showing out so far. He's one of the best rookies so far with the preseason. So hopefully he can really come to the table. Um, but we also have some injuries on the defensive side with Sidney Jones. He, ha- he has the concussion, Artie Burns, the groin injury. Artie Burns has a long uh, injury history, so it'll be interesting to see if we can keep him healthy. And Jordan Brooks, most importantly, he has a right hamstring injury. But um, I'm definitely concerned about Jordan Brooks because he's leading 
the defense, basically. So we definitely need him to get healthy again to see that. Yeah, Brooks has come on quietly as, as one of one of the better linebackers in football. Um, and I, I do think that in year three, he's probably prepared to to kind of announce that. But mm. hamstrings are kind of a nagging injury. You know, some guys get over them and then they just don't have an issue with them once they get out of the preseason. And some guys, it's like week nine and they're they're still not quite all the way back. It's just something that it's 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 tough to nail down a timeline for that. So, so I definitely agree with you that that uh, some injuries at some of those key key players is is uh, uh, important. Jonah, what about you? Now you you finally have the opportunity to go positive. What do you think will lead the way for this defense if they are again one of the top fifteen units in the NFL? They their defensive line, especially with the Russell Wilson trade where they got Shelby Harris, just another one of those three hundred pound interior linemen, and so Seattle has an abundance of them. And so they finally changed their defense, and now they're going to a 3-4 where you have your nose tackle and the two defensive 300-pounders or whatever defensive ends. So now you're relying more on the on the outside linebackers for pass rush. But um, it's just that they have so much depth on that defensive line where you have Shelby Harris and you have Puna Ford and you have some of these other guys that are, are there. And so you just have a bunch of them. And one of the things that made Seattle special when they won their Super Bowl in 2013 was the depth they had on the defensive line. So obviously they're not, I don't think they're going to win the Super Bowl this year, <laughs> but um, it's definitely a start and it's the one bright spot on their defense because their secondary is young. Uh, they have potential, but they're young. And then at linebacker, as we already mentioned with Brooks, Brooks has a little bit of an injury. And then I don't trust his partner, Cody Barton at all. I don't, Every time I turned around, Cody Barton was missing a tackle or getting his momentum used against him on a on a uh, blitz or something. And then I guess the last thing I'll mention, since we haven't mentioned him yet, is Jamal Adams and how disappointing he's been. But uh, you know him very well. <laughs> but it's definitely the defensive line that's going to uh, bring him to the promised land if that ends up happening at all. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I mean, I think the Seahawks have always wanted to win up front. You know, that's that's what they've done the best when they've been at their best. And the whole Jamal Adams saga is something that, again, I think much like the conversation around the the Seahawks offensive mentality is something that just requires a lot of time to delve into that maybe we don't have right now. But look, I think Jamal Adams is a player who has a a really unique skill set and within a, a particular type of defense with certain types of players around him he can be highly impactful i think if you have players who can lock down the corner spots it really really changes how effective he can be Mm. i think if you're looking for a lot of coverage from him like a lot of zone coverage from him you're, you're putting him probably in the wrong situation to to truly excel you know i think Again, a conversation for another day, but I, 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 I think there's a lot of really good stuff he can do, but he is kind of reliant on other skill sets. So that being said, guys, I mean, look, they came in last in the division last year. Kind of seems like the general expectation is that's probably what's going to be this year. And I don't think I'm, you know, making a broad leap interpreting what you guys have been saying into that. But why don't you give me a basic prediction for what's going to happen with the Seahawks this year, Julie? Why don't you go first and let us know what you think? 
Sure. I would like to say that being the last of our division is better than the first of others. <laughs> so I wouldn't say that that's a big loss for us. Uh, being such a competitive division, I still feel like fourth is, is good. I do agree that that might be. I think it wouldn't be a reach to say that that's the expectation. Um, I did my little math skills and <laughs> looked at the the last three years, what the uh, winning rate was for uh, Geno Smith and Drew Locke, and it's it's not great. Then I averaged the two, and we ended up at 39%. If you do 39% of 17 games, that's a solid seven uh, out of seven wins, 10 losses, which is just happened to be what we got last year. I think that that's abundantly optimistic, but you know, I, I like to think the numbers don't lie, but in this in this case, they might. But that is my prediction for the season, a solid seven. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I think anytime you predict a, a team to be less than seven, they have to really have a really bad situation because a lot of times it's those seven and seven and ten teams. I get seven to ten now. Still want to say seven and nine. But it's those seven and ten teams that have injuries to a few key players that end up dropping down and having a worse record, which is tough to predict. So, you know, you hear a lot of seven and nine, but I think it's it there's a reason that that's a reasonable prediction. What about you, Jonah? What do you think? Four or five wins. And the reason has nothing to do with the Seattle talent. As you said, Seattle, like seven to ten doesn't actually seem that bad. The problem is, is that Seattle has the rotation with the schedule where they have the AFC West. So they have the top two divisions in football where they have to play 10 games against these tough opponents. And so because of the schedule, they're only going to get like four or five wins. It's going to be really difficult for them to get more than that because they're against the best teams in football. Like they just have a brutal schedule. And as every Jets fan knows, the beginning of the season is always brutal with the schedule. And Seattle is not any different this year. It's going to be difficult and tough. And even if Geno and Drew Locke do okay, Seattle's going to have all sorts of issues. Because if you think about it in the NFC, you would think that Seattle might actually have a chance to make the playoffs because there, there's a lot of uncertainty in the NFC in comparison to the AFC, where in the AFC there's only like three teams that aren't competing. And so it would be so much more difficult. The problem is, is the AFC West is on their schedule. So that's 10 games if you take in their six division games where they're unlikely to win. So right off the bat, you're starting in uh, you're, you're starting in, in, in a rut already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know, they'll win probably at least a couple of the games, but they'll definitely be underdogs in every single one of those matchups. So you're absolutely right about that. At least they'll have a couple of first round picks next year. I believe they'll have two firsts, two seconds, and they'll have an opportunity to, to add some, some guys probably with a number of top 40 picks. So, you know, at least they do have that optimistic outlook for the future and come probably about halfway through the season when we do start to kind of preview the draft for next season more and more, they will definitely be one of those teams that get featured in those conversations. So we'll, we'll look forward to that for them. I love the draft as much as anybody else. So guys, thank you so much for joining me to talk about the Seattle Seahawks. Absolutely appreciate it. And we'll monitor their uh, season as we go through. But until we get to that point, let's let everybody know where to find you guys, where they can interact with you and read your work. Julie, how about you? Let everybody know. You can find me on Gridiron Heroics, a bit of a 
boomer with the the other social media but you can also find me in science journals if you're interested (laughs) yeah we'll absolutely have you on to talk more about sports injury and epidemiology as well I'm, i'm curious about your thoughts on that kind of a specific topic but i love conversations about really specific topics once the podcast really gets rolling we'll be able to have some more of those so we'll have you on for that jonah what about you remind everybody where they can find you uh, Gridiron Heroics on the site. They do have my uh, Twitter handle at Jonah AP2. Yeah, so that, that's where you'll find my work. Right on. Thanks again, guys. And we will talk to you very soon. All right, everybody. I am very excited to welcome a brand new guest for one of the more controversial franchises over the past uh, month or so. For the Arizona Cardinals, I have Donnie Clemens. Donnie is on Boomer Bust, the draft show, which you can find on podcasts, as uh, any podcast platform, as well as YouTube. And you can find him on TikTok. He has a pretty solid following there. You can find him at Pick and Spread. Donnie, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic, man. You know, just got uh, just got back to college about a week ago, just kind of adjusting everything. And I'm, I'm, I'm super happy to be here. Thanks for bringing me on. Yeah, my pleasure. So, you know, the drill here is, quick intro and then we just dive right into the football talk so i have my first question for you and we can dance around some of the stuff that's been happening lately if it comes up naturally you know then we can do it. i'm not going to force you to though my first question is who would you say are the two biggest offseason additions whether it be draft or free agency anything you have in mind that will affect this team the most for the 2022 season? So we had a pretty quiet off season. Um, so nothing really crazy happened with those, but I think the number one obvious answer is definitely uh, Hollywood Brown traded a first round pick uh, to get him from Baltimore. Uh, Kyle's old college teammate. You know, there's been that chemistry over the last year or so we've seen about how if you combine the college quarterback and the college wide receiver, there's been a very, very positive connection with that. Like Joe Burrow, Devonte Smith and, uh, 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 Jalen Hurts, like that connection. Mm-hmm. So the Cardinals are probably thinking, hey, maybe we can get, you know, the Heisman Trophy winner with his college teammate Marquise Brown that he broke rec- records with. And then the other one, pretty quiet offseason. I think I'd go with Trey McBride, uh, tight end from Colorado State, won the Mackey Award, was the best tight end in college football last year. Um, even though he did play the smallest school in Colorado State, you saw against good competition. Can, a good example would be the Iowa Hawkeyes, who statistically had a top six defense in college football last year, went in there and had a very, very good game. So I had him as my tight end one. I felt like he was, I don't want to say consensus tight end one, but a lot of people had him as tight end one. So got him in the second round. So I would say those are the two biggest additions for the offseason. Yeah, I liked uh, McBride quite a bit. He was my tight end two right behind Jeremy Ruckert. I really liked Ruckert's potential. I know it was a little bit untapped, but McBride was up there too. Really athletic tight end. And I think when you look at what they have at that position, it's a player who has a tremendous track record, but is getting a little bit older. And it's just one of those things you never know exactly what's going to happen with that. He might ball out. He might decline a little bit. He could get injured. So having a player like that as your second tight end is a big deal, especially if they do want to transition to using 12 personnel a little bit more than they have over the past few years. And then as far as Hollywood Brown, I mean, what is there to say? You get in a wide receiver who's going to be their wide out one while DeAndre Hopkins is gone. And yeah, I think wide receiver and quarterback chemistry is a really big deal. I think that is probably the second largest issue that young quarterbacks face, aside from just transitioning to a new offense, 
having that chemistry and building that chemistry takes time. So getting a guy who you already have that with, it's it's beneficial to a young quarterback, no doubt about it. So let's look at the offense. We've already commented on a few of the new players, but I would like you to tell me if you could what you think is the primary strength and possible weakness of the offense. If they go through the season and either have a killer year where they're in the top 10 of offense or they're a little bit underwhelming, what would be responsible for either of those two events? So I think what would allow us to succeed at a high level if we did would be Kyra Murray staying healthy and D-Hop coming back and playing strong right away. Maybe Hollywood Brown plays at a high level. I'd say the biggest strength is definitely our wide receiver depth. I'd argue we have some of the better depth in the league. You know, when D-Hop comes back, we'll have him. A.J. Green is older, but he's not bad he's just okay Rondo Moore is a very high ceiling slot receiver with great athleticism and great yak ability Antoine Wesley is a contested catching monster who had a great game against Dallas and when he had his opportunities whenever a bunch of wide receivers got hurt last year he did step up he's a good depth piece Andy Isabella has been killing in training camp in preseason I'm not sure if we're going to trade him there's been rumors that we are but we'll see what happens with that so I definitely say a wide receiver core along with maybe we might have the best tight end trio in the entire NFL with Zach Ertz, Trey McBride, and before Max Williams tore his ACL, I believe it was in four games, he had about 200 yards and a touchdown. That's very, very solid, especially from a guy that I considered a run-blocking tight end. He was doing very well to start the season. So I would definitely say the weapons on offense, and if hypothetically we were to disappoint, which I do think it's a more likely chance than succeeding. What I would definitely say is it's the same thing that happens every year. Kyler Murray gets hurt. Cliff Kingsbury can adjust into the second half of the season. And we just kind of start to fall off again. And that's been Cliff Kingsbury's track record for the last 10 years now. So I would definitely say that's it along with possibly, you know, maybe DeAndre Hopkins comes back and he's not the same player. Um, I mean, we've had history with that as well. Like with Patrick Peterson, when he came back from this suspension, he was terrible. Um, so I think there's definitely a possibility of that happening. But I would say if we were to disappoint, it would be basically the same reason over the last two years. Yeah, the inconsistency uh, over the course of a season has definitely been an issue. And, you know, everything that's happened and it's been in the media, you, there's always essentially one of two ways that a player or team can handle that. Either they overcome it strongly, you know, they basically look it in the face and deal with it and 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 perform very well, or they essentially shrink in front of it. And, and so that is probably one of the reasons that the Cardinals have one of the higher ceilings versus the lower floors going forward into this year. You know, I think it's one of those teams where a lot of people don't know what to expect exactly. Defensively, this is a team that I think, I feel like over the last couple of years, they have consistently surprised people and, and played a little bit better than they're given credit for. And I'm not sure why that is. I mean, they have a really good defensive coordinator. They've had talent. People constantly point to the cornerback position and say that's this is not a good enough cornerback group. And yet, it never really seems to be that that big of a deal, right? I mean, the, the talent is there. Obviously, some talent did leave with Chandler Jones. But what would you say when talking about this defense and, and what you think might happen with it? And, you know, give me, of course, just like with the offense, some strength and potential weakness. So the defense this upcoming year is going to be a bit interesting compared to past years. We're going to be running a lot more 4-2-5 defensive packages, especially with uh, Isaiah Simmons. Uh, the only thing that I've been – if you've heard anything about Arizona Cardinals camp and you've heard anything about Isaiah Simmons, it's that – 
he's basically going back to the position that he was playing at Clemson, which is that star role where he's going to be playing mm-hmm. safeties, we playing outside linebacker, even some slot corner, even some outside corner. Uh, he was been practicing with the DBs the entire offseason. So it's, I'm glad we're finally putting him back there. He should have been there from the start. I don't know why Vince Joseph tried to force him to be an inside linebacker. That was never his position. I always thought he was a outside linebacker, maybe even a safety. He's athletic enough to play safety as well. I think he's good enough in coverage as well. So that's going to be different for us. Zayvon Collins, another high ceiling guy who is going to be our single main role caller at the middle linebacker position. The corners, it's a bit interesting. So we all know Byron Murphy's good slot corner, all that stuff. Um, our CB2 at the moment, his name is Antonio Hamilton. And this guy, he's been a journeyman since 2018. I believe he was on the Packers. He was on the Patriots for a year. Um, I believe. And then he comes to Arizona in 2020, has a good year on special teams, but re-signed into a one-year deal, and he's beating now some of our other guys. And he has been confirmed, at least by Cliff Kinsbury, as the CP2, which is going to be interesting. And uh, has been the best DB also by a lot during the preseason. I believe he has a 79.4 PFF grade in the preseason and coverage, which is fantastic to hear. It's just, to me, the main weakness is definitely the defensive line. Uh, I like Marcus Golden. I like J.J. Watt. But J.J. Watt, how long is he going to stay healthy for? I hope he stays healthy. I obviously don't wish injury upon anybody, but eventually he's probably going to get hurt because he has a track record of doing that over the last how many years. So that's definitely the main weakness with it. I would say our strength, though, is by far, by far the safeties. We have some. I would argue we have a top five safety duo in all football with Buda Baker, in my opinion, being the be- the best box safety in the entire NFL uh, being one of the best tacklers, one of the best run defenders. I mean, he's just a seeking missile. Jalen Thompson had a nice little breakout year in 2021 20, uh, as well. Not quite on that level of like a top 20, maybe top 15 guy. He's not there yet, but could get there eventually. He's a very solid piece of the defense. So I would definitely say our strength is the defense. And my expectation for it, I think it's going to be probably bottom 10. That's probably my expectation for it. But then again, I've said this over the last three years and every year except for 2019, it hasn't been that. It's always been league average. So I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting unit. I mean, if you are using Isaiah Simmons as that star role, what that means is that you have less true DBs on the field than you generally would, right? You said it's 4-2-5, except that the fifth DB, the nickel guy, is kind of half a linebacker anyway, right? So... It, it kind of mitigates a little bit of that 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 corner depth that we talk about. So I'm interested to see what happens. And, and for sure, Buda Baker is, is a tremendous player. And I think as one of the better box safeties in the NFL, he's also diversified his skill set and he can do a lot more around. So I think uh, uh, around the formation. So I think, you know, when you look at all the pieces you have, there's a ton of versatility. The question is, where are the guys who are going to stand out and be tremendous at one or two specific skills, right? And if you can find that, then you can probably have a good defense. If you don't find it, maybe you have an average or potentially below average. I think, again, it just goes into that narrative that I mentioned before about the highest ceiling and potentially the lowest floor. Pass rush, probably a little bit of a question at this point, but we'll see. To predict the entire season, you know, not game by game, but a rough estimate of what you expect the record to be. And you kind of alluded to it up to this point. What do you expect out of the Cardinals this season? So um, fun fact real quick, because I just like bring it up because it's super interesting. Every year since 2015, I've gotten right whether we are going to make the playoffs or not. Every single year, I've gotten it right every year, <laughs> which is pretty impressive. And 
Uh, this year, I'm on the boat saying, I don't think we're going to make it this year. I think our defense is going to hold us back. I think D-Hop being out for six games is going to hold us back. And I think at the end of the day, as much as I want us to make the playoffs, I think the suspension is going to kill us the most. So I think I'm going to have us probably with a record of around eight and nine, maybe seven and 10, maybe nine and eight. But at the end of the day, I don't think we sneak in. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you you have to play the rest of the NFC West, which is, you know, a pretty good division, especially at the top. I mean, I think, you know, it's tough to say because there is a lot of transition in some of those other teams as well, particularly the 49ers, who are the other one that you would expect to be at the top. But I think you have to pay, play the AFC West this year as well. We do. Yeah. And that's that's a that's a that's a tough out, too. So, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly what to expect in terms of record, but them missing the playoffs by a little bit. It wouldn't surprise me either. You know, DeAndre Hopkins is such a dominant player and he really, truly does change the nature of your offense. And if you can score as many points as they do when he's there, sometimes that overcomes some of the issues with the defense. Either you outscore the opponent or you just get such a lead that you can kind of change what you do and become a little bit more aggressive and and you don't have to rely on all of your players to to be the best version of themselves sometimes you just don't put them in the position where they you know might fail so it's, it's an interesting team it really really is I have a lot of thoughts on their team building process but again we don't have time to go into all that um, definitely have a unique way of going about doing things I don't think in the modern let's say past 10 years any other team has taken first round picks at inside linebacker in back-to-back years. I don't I don't think any other team has done it. I don't think so. I, <laughs> I, I struggle to wrap my mind around that. But again, if he steps in and plays well at the star, then it works out. Donnie, thank you so much for joining me. I truly do appreciate it. Why don't you let everybody know, remind them where they can find you so that uh, you can maybe find a few more people and get them on your, uh, get them on TikTok. Like, so I'll, I'll tell you, like I am doing my best to become social media savvy. I'm probably the oldest 31 year old you'll ever meet. Like I still, I, I have struggled to engage with TikTok personally, but I know that you have a really good following. And so let everybody know where that is. So yeah, you can follow me on TikTok at pick and spreads. I'm trying to hit 21,000 followers before the end of the season. Um, I'm also going to be bringing back some brand new content. I'm super excited for that. Follow me on Twitter as well. Um, at pick and spreads also on Instagram. I'm very active with, uh, messaging people on instagram so if you ever have any questions for me about your team or definitely not fantasy questions but you know everything that was surrounding football definitely hit, <laughs> definitely hit me up on ig and i think that i think that's pretty much it just follow me on twitter tiktok and instagram i'd appreciate it a lot yeah and again don't forget to check out boomer bust the draft show i know that that'll be heating back up as the season rolls along and if especially especially if you're one of those teams you're a fan of one of those teams that has a rough beginning of the season and you want to start looking towards the draft these guys are a great place to start. Donnie, thanks again, and we will see you very soon. Now, to help me preview a very interesting team, the San Francisco 49ers, I have a brand new guest, Seth Broughton. Seth covers the 49ers and the Texas Longhorns for gridironheroics.com. He currently goes to Paris Junior College for sports broadcasting, and we'll be heading off to Texas A&M Commerce after his two-year degree. Seth, how are you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing great. The 49ers are a fun team to talk about. They're one of those oh, yeah. unique teams where 
were coming off of a fair amount of success. They've got a bunch of star talent, and yet we have no idea what exactly to expect from them for the season. So I'm curious to see what your expectations are and what your opinions are on the team. So that being said, you know, we jump right into it for these segments. Don't have a ton of time to welcome everybody on, even though I wish I had more. Why don't you let me know who are your two biggest key additions from the offseason? All right, yeah, definitely. Um, so I think when uh, uh, when everybody heard about the Charvarius Ward signing, I think that's something that you can't ignore. It was coming off his best season. He had, uh, I think he only allowed 51% completion whenever um, they're thrown at him uh, his last year in Kansas City. So I think that's something that you definitely can't ignore. He's a good size. He's about 6'1", 195, which I know Kyle Shanahan really likes in his corners, and he's been having a stellar, stellar camp. So. I think that's definitely important. And then, of course, the freak, Drake Jackson. Drake Jackson coming out of, um, I believe he went to USC. But, yeah, Drake Jackson coming out of the draft, man, he, he's a freak. You know, he didn't have, you know, he only had finished his career, I think, 12 and a half sacks at USC. But dude's a freak athlete. I mean, he's learning under Chris Kusurik. Uh, Kusurik, okay, yeah. I saw it last night. I didn't know how to pronounce <laughs> his name. but uh. He's learning under him, and of course, he's got high praise from a lot of guys. So the defense is coming off of, I think, 48 sacks last year, which was fifth in the NFL. And I think with Bosa on the field at the same time as Drake Jackson, if they ever get out there at the same time, I'm not sure how they're going to set that line up yet. But I don't think they're going to be able to stop both of them. They're going to have so much, so many hands on on Nick that I think I think Drake is just going to tee off on the edge. Yeah, Drake Drake Jackson is a uh, he's a big time athlete. It was a little bit disappointing for him in college because he had all that athleticism. A lot of times you expect that to, to translate, and he showed flashes, but he never quite hit the 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 potential that people expected of him when he came into college. So, I do believe that going and working under Chris Kosurik is only going to be a benefit to him. I mean. The 49ers have such an established defensive line full of veterans who have honed their craft that, you know, he's surrounded by people who can only help him. So I, I do have expectations are always an iffy thing, but I do have higher expectations for him coming in to the NFL than what he was able to achieve in college. And, you know, definitely you got to have a deep rotation on the defensive line, right? I mean, in this day and age, particularly with a few teams and Chris Gersurik's mentality being one of them, you've got to have essentially eight guys who can effectively rush the passer on some level. You know, not every single one has to be Mm -hmm. elite, but you've got to have a bunch of guys who can do it because you rotate those guys so consistently over the course of a game that you, you, you want to keep them fresh and you want to still be effective when you have that second line in there. So I'm not sure if he'll get a ton of reps at the same time as Nick Bosa, but I do expect him to, you know, have some legitimate opportunities to play throughout the season. Um, and then as far as Traverius Ward, he's a good corner man. Um, sometimes there's there's a, a little drop off in what guys get paid if they are good versus absolutely locked down. You know, you kind of see a right almost a fifty percent drop in pay rate. But sometimes those very good corners are very, very good from year to year. 
So it's a position that you can't necessarily lock down and say, this player is going to be as good this year as he was last year, right? But also sometimes you get those those rare years. So I'm not sure exactly what to expect from him throughout his career with the 49ers at this point. But usually when you see a guy having such a good camp, you can you can project that he's going to have one of those, you know, top years of his particular career. So let's mm-hmm. let's look at the offense since we talked about a couple of defensive guys there. Mm-hmm. Let's hone in on what the offensive strengths and weaknesses are of the 49ers. You know, the one strength in particular, one weakness in particular, if they are one of the best offenses in the league, what guides the way? And if they're a little bit disappointing, what do you think it is that holds them back? Yeah. Um, uh, so as far as a, uh, I think a big strength of theirs this season is probably going to be their explosiveness. It's something that they didn't really have with Jimmy Garoppolo, but it was planned. It was planned not to have it that way. You know, he's a, he's a quick passer. He gets the ball out really quick, efficiently. Um, and that and that's important. That's just kind of how their game plan is. You know, they run the football. It's Kyle Shanahan style offense, of course. Um, but there are those times where you're you're taking those rollout shots, you know, middle of third quarter, or early downs or short down distances that I feel like Jimmy Garoppolo definitely struggled with. You know, he's always first read. If it's there, he's hitting it. You know, he's, he didn't really look downfield a whole lot. And I think that's something that Trey Lance will be able to have a uh, a better impact on, especially with his mobility, getting out of the pocket a little bit quicker, um, having that threat of being able to run it. Um, it's definitely important for the play-action game, I think. And we all know Kyle Shanahan will run the football, so it's not like they're going to be like a Chiefs team. They're just going to be airing it out. Mm-hmm. But I do think ceiling-wise, Trey Lance is definitely going to give them that opportunity depending on you know, what we see from this year. So I think that's important. Plus, I mean, you, the diversity of weapons in the passing game, specifically for the um, um, for the play-action game, I mean, you got – you got um, use check out there, of course, Kittle. Of course, Debo's going to be doing Debo things. Um, Brandon Ayuk's having a crazy, crazy good offseason right now. Not offseason, but camp. Um, and I'd really, of course, like to see Danny Gray do a little bit more of a, maybe like a, I'm not sure what kind of role they're going to have him in yet, but maybe a uh, kind of like a Marquise Goodwin type role stretching the field. You know, he's got the wheels. So I think they're going to have a lot of options. Of course, everything going well. Now, of course, they're, you can't ignore that maybe their offensive line isn't going to be quite as good as they were last year. Um, you know, Alex Mack, uh, he retired. Um, definitely, oh, there was one specific play during the uh, Vikings game I saw. I think it was um, Sederstrom, number 66. He was a center. They were on the goal line, and he got blown up, blown up, and they caused that fumble, that turnover on the goal line there in the second quarter, I think. But... I know he's not the starter, but I I just don't. Oh, I was just an ugly play, you know. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, between between Mac retiring and Lakin Tomlinson going off off to the mm-hmm. Jets in free agency, right. you don't have quite the same line that you did in the past few years. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. You still have Trent Williams at left tackle, right? You still have Mike McGlinchey at right tackle, but I think between those those two edge pieces there there's some question marks so you know i think the 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 run scheme is set up to to help those players out a little bit you know what i mean they they won't take as right. many straight dropbacks 
You know, if yeah, you can be effective definitely. in the run game, which is a little bit easier for offensive linemen, and then you can take your play action shots, then you don't necessarily have to hold up in pure pass protection over and over and over. And again, when you when you look at the run game and you add in the mobility of Trey Lance as a potential running option, I think you do make it a little easier on your offensive line. I don't know how, exactly how it will look, but you, you kind of have that in your back pocket. And right. they are just loaded with talent. I mean, they, they're loaded with explosive players. Like you said, Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, all guys who can take a play short and make it a big play, which they've been doing, but also all of them can catch the ball deep as well. They're all deep threats. So if you can get the ball downfield a little bit more, it does open up your offense a lot. So looking at the defensive side now, again, we definitely know we have some stars. But if you were going to say there was one particular unit or even specific player, if you wanted to, that holds them back a little bit, that keeps them from being one of those top defenses that we saw in 2021 or 2019, what do you think that issue might be? Um. Definitely, I'd say at the beginning of, the, of last season, I'd definitely say, you know, outside cornerbacks, you know, they're just getting they're younger guys. They don't have a lot of experience. They're just getting they were just getting balled on. It was hard to watch, to be honest. But of course, they kind of brought it together as the season season went on. And um, they ended up being I think they were they ended up being top 10 in the league as far as uh, passing yards allowed at the end of the season, which was surprising. I would have wouldn't have guessed it, but. Um, I definitely think the outside cornerbacks are something that they need to needed to work on. Um, I mean, you had the shark leaving, you know. Um, Kaywan Williams was leaving. You had uh, uh, Jimmy Ward, who just had his injury. Thank thank goodness it wasn't something too bad. Um, of course, hoping that he gets he gets healthy as soon as possible. Yeah, I think I think uh, definitely Charvarius Ward is going to be something. Hopefully, you know, like you said, who knows what happens with him this season, but. Um, I think it was a good pickup as far as maybe having somebody on the outside, maybe even, you know, going to slot every once in a while where they have uh, where they had K1 Williams. And I know uh, Jimmy Ward was playing a lot of that whenever they were doing uh, their single high looks. Which is another thing that kind of worries me a little bit because Hufanga has been playing that single high um, a little bit. They've had him in the preseason more up close to the line of scrimmage with Tarverius more in the back. Um, so I'm just I'm worried to see. I mean, well, I wouldn't say I'm worried. I'm excited to see <laughs> how that's going to play out. Um, just because of the, uh, you know, Hufanga, of course, you have the lack of athleticness there, which hasn't really seemed to be too much of a liability so far. Small sample size this season, but. Um, I'm excited to see who they have there playing strong safety. Yeah, uh, you know, I think uh, no team has strength at every single position, right? You know, right. It, it's complementary football. You have to rely on your the best units you have, the best parts of your team, and, and then hopefully you have enough from the other positions. And I, I, with everything they've got going on on the defense, I think they'll be all right. I mean, yeah. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seemed like you were alluding to the fact that the defensive line might be the strength, which I think it is a strength, but I also mm-hmm. think that they have one of the best linebacker units in football, if not the best. Oh yeah. So I, I, I love what they've got going on there. And I, I feel like 
their ability to cover from the middle of the field stemming from Fred Warner's ability is it, it, it protects you a little bit from some of those like those uh, issues that you might see with a, a, a strong safety or, or something like that because he can just do so much. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially the short underneath in the middle kind of throws. I think they're definitely going to have a big big strength against. One thing that as good as K1 Williams is and you know, congratulations to him. He's going to he got a he got a nice offer there in Denver. Um as nice as he was in the slot, he definitely he definitely struggled in the seam a little bit on the seat or I think a little bit. Um and whenever they're throwing it up the seam against him, he seemed like he struggled more often than not. And that's another thing that I think needs to be watched this year because there's going to be more single high than there has been in the past. Kind of like with uh, when Robert Sala was there um, as a defensive coordinator, he did a whole lot of cover three looks, mm-hmm. you know, cover one single high. And uh, I think that's going to be happening again, um, just based off their personnel, which is, you know, getting somebody, you're never going to replace Kwan Williams. Of course, he was a great player, but um, get somebody with, Similarly for each years. And oh, who's that that rookie who had two picks in his first game? Uh uh Walmack. What was his first name? Uh um, can't remember. Sure. I think he's number thirty five. Have to double check. Yeah. But uh he was balling out. Uh, he went after his I think he he spent five five years in college football and then he was looking good. You can't ignore he had two picks in the first uh first Samuel game. Walmack, that's first right. preseason. Samuel Walmack, yeah. I, I watched that game and I forgot what his what his name was. Samuel Womack the third actually. Yep, had a good, good, good preseason game number one. That's true. All right, Seth. So why don't you lay on me your prediction for the season? You know, just a basic win loss record that you think they might be able to achieve, and how competitive in the playoffs you think they would be if they do make it. Oh, man, um, I probably spent the longest on uh, on looking at this last night. <laughs> I think uh, just because it's you know it's of course it's it's never going to be perfect, but. Um, I predicted uh, ten and seven, eleven and six, maybe. Um, they got a pretty tough schedule this year, to be honest. Um, there's a couple games where you're like, you know, you know, they're facing the Commanders, who are still kind of rebuilding a little bit. Of course, they play play the Chargers. That's going to be a tough one, I think. Of course, that offense is really good, but I don't know. I feel like there's a with the tough schedule, like the one that they have. I think it's going to bring out a lot of good things, especially for the young players, or at least a lot of lessons that they can learn from. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if we go nine and eight again next year, but I really do think a ten and seven, eleven and six are pretty realistic. We beat uh, we beat the Rams twice in the regular season last year, and then took the L two in the playoffs. Um, I think that happens the opposite this way. I think I think we lose to them both times in the regular season, and we see them in the uh, divisional round, or maybe. Maybe even the conference chip, and I think we beat them. <laughs> yeah, well, I, the the biggest question about the team, I would say, is the offensive line and the quarterback. You've got enough star players all around that that one of those two things going poorly, you could probably overcome. Great defense, right. good skill players. If both of those things are a problem, I, that's when I think you might have a slightly more disappointing season than than we all hope looking at the team from the outside. So I think, like you said, I think 10-11 is very realistic. It, it's just, it's so hard to predict exactly what we're going to see from those two those two key positions. Right. 
Um, and I think if even if they don't play great, you can still win enough enough games to maybe make the playoffs as one of those lower wild card seeds. So I think ten eleven is realistic. I think I think nine is one hundred percent possible. I'm optimistic about the team and and Kyle Shanahan's ability as a play caller enough so that oh, yeah. I, I think that it will be hard for them not to at least just break five hundred. You know, I don't want to say hard, but you know, right. Yeah, they're too well coached to be to be put at least put themselves in the situation during some of those tough games to be able to be in the position to maybe come out with the W. I think is important, um, and I think they're going to be able to do that with the coaches they have over there. So, yeah. All right, Seth. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it very much. Now, let Not everybody know. Next. Yeah, absolutely. Let me let everybody know where they can find you, whether it be social media, your written work, anything you want to throw out there. Mm-hmm. Well, you can find me, of course, on gridironheroics.com. Um, I write about the 49ers, the um, Texas Longhorns. Um, my Twitter handle is just going to be Seth R. R. Broughton. So S-E-T-H-R-B-R-O-U-G-H-T-O-N. Beautiful. We will see you again very soon. There's no doubt that the 49ers will have uh, a few big games that we'll, we'll have you on to cover. So looking forward to that. Seth, thanks again, Seth. Thank you, Max. You have a good one. All right, I am very excited to welcome a brand new guest to cover and preview the Super Bowl winning Los Angeles Rams. Today I have Cameron De Silva, who is the managing editor for the Rams Wire, which is part of USA Today Sports, and he is a writer for Sportsbook Wire as well. Cameron, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Max? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to have you on, man. I I appreciate you joining the show, and I'm going to jump right into it, but I love having guys from different sites that that work on teams that are, are not just from Gridiron Heroics, right? I love having all of our writers on, but it's always fun when I kind of don't have someone to cover that particular team for, for a day to, to go outside of our pool and bring in some outside perspectives. So the first thing I'm going to ask you is, who would you say are the two biggest offseason additions? Who are the key players or potentially even coaches or anybody that came to the team this year that will have the biggest impact for the 2022 season. Yeah, without a doubt for the Rams, it's, it's got to be Bobby Wagner and Allen Robinson. Um, those were really their only two notable additions this offseason. Um, both of them were free agents. Wagner was obviously released by the, the Seahawks, which came as a little bit of a surprise. Um, and then Robinson was um, available on the free agent market uh, after his contract expired with the Bears. So um, after the Rams lost Von Miller, they kind of used the money that they would have allocated towards him uh, to bring in Allen Robinson and, and bolster that receiving core. And then they traded Robert Woods away to kind of open up even more room for uh, for Allen Robinson. And then Bobby Wagner comes in. He's not a pass rusher like Von Miller, but he's a he's a defensive veteran who um, is also a, a known, well-known leader. So he's going to step up in that leadership role and, and be their defensive sim- signal caller in the middle of the defense and uh, really help elevate that unit. Yeah, I really like the addition of Bobby Wagner. I mean, how can you not after the career that he's put together? But it's always nice when you bring over a veteran from a division rival who has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about <laughs> how he was uh, unceremoniously released. <laughs> you know, I, I've listened to him talk a little bit, and it's pretty crazy that they didn't go about releasing him with a little bit more of a personal touch. You know, usually when you have that kind of relationship 
with a team, you get a little bit more uh, respect, I guess. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, who's to say how, how teams do things? But And then Allen Robinson, man, I, I was a little bit nervous about that signing when they actually made it because he was coming off of such a such a disappointing year with the Bears. But all you hear, all you hear if you follow Rams camp at all is how impressive he's been and how big the expectations are for him this year. So there's no doubt that both of those players will likely have a notable impact for this team going forward. So let's look at the offense in particular. And I'd like you to tell me if you can, what you think the offensive strength and potential weakness might be for the team, right? So what will lead the way to another playoff berth, Super Bowl run? And if there is something that's kind of nagging there that holds them back and and keeps them from being what they were last year, what do you think that might be? Yeah, I think the strength has to be the receiving core and and really just the passing game as a whole with with Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Allen Robinson, like I mentioned, and then uh, Van Jefferson as that third receiver. You have Tyler Higby, who's a, a pretty underrated tight end for the amount of volume of targets that he that he gets in that offense um, with so many playmakers around him. But I think that has to be the the element of the offense that kind of carries his team and uh, really does the bulk of the work because the running game just wasn't that good last year. Now they're getting Cam Akers back from his Achilles injury, and, and he should be 100%. So that will help the running game, and, and he's another good weapon out of the backfield who can catch passes and pass protect as well. Daryl Henderson, too, is, is a capable receiver out of the backfield. So I think really just the, the passing game as a whole is the strength of this team, and it, and it starts with those receivers, with uh, with Cooper Cup especially. Um, if there is a weakness, I would probably say the offensive line is a little bit of a concern. Andrew Whitworth retired, so you're replacing him with Joe Noteboom, who has never started a full season at left tackle. Right guard, he lost Austin Corbett um, in free agency. They're replacing him with Coleman Shelton, who has never been a full-time starter either. Logan Bruss, who was their top pick, was expected to compete with with Shelton at right guard. Um, Seems like he lost that competition based on his playing time in the preseason and the fact that Shelton hasn't played. Um, And then Bruss suffered a, a torn ACL and MCL last week in the preseason game. So he's out for the year. So that kind of hurts their depth a little bit. So really some question marks on this offensive line and and hopefully everyone up front can stay healthy because their backups are a little bit shaky and you don't want to have to go into that depth. Yeah, Noteboom has looked really good overall as a backup and the spot starting duty that he's had over the past couple of years. It's definitely different when you're expecting a guy to go up against the best pass rushers and teams can really game plan for him once his strengths and weaknesses really become apparent mm-hmm. over a few few weeks worth of game tape. But, you know, you, you have to be optimistic from what you saw from him in the past. And look, there's no doubt that the skilled players are really, really good in the passing game. And it's kind of cool to see McVay transition from a dominant running attack in his early tenure with the team to now a dominant passing attack. Shows a lot of versatility. Not that, I don't know, Anybody necessarily questioned his coaching ability, but but it's cool to see that evolution with him. So, you know, I guess I guess I, I have to at least point out the potential nerve inducing uh, news that's been coming out about um, Matthew Stafford's tendonitis in his arm. But, you know, we know he's a tough player, so we hope he can overcome. But again, it's a long season. So that's that's the one thing that kind of sits there in the back of my mind, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 
you, you never want a court a, a coach saying that it's an abnormal injury for a quarterback and it's something that MLB pitchers deal with. That's not something you want your coach talking about your quarterback's elbow. Um, so it is a little bit worrisome. They don't really seem concerned at all, but um, you never know how it's going to go throughout the season. You know, yeah, and McVay's he's a funny guy. I I really enjoyed listening to him on Flying Coach as well. He's a guy who's mm-hmm. he plays the game. He doesn't truly reveal anything but he is more candid than a lot of nfl coaches so he's an interesting yeah. guy to hear to, to to listen to and and to to really hear him especially if you can get him in a position where he's having kind of a longer conversation he's a mm-hmm. definitely one of the better coaches in the league for a lot of different reasons absolutely all right so let's look at the defense same question basically what's the strength i mean i can certainly point to one player which normally you can't but but in this case you really can uh and the potential weakness if you know if they don't have quite the same year that they have over the past few years I mean there's been transition on the defensive coaching staff doesn't seem like they've really missed a beat you know especially as the season went on but what do you think are the strength and weakness of the defense yeah, for the strength, I think it's kind of just the front seven as a whole. I'm not necessarily going to say the pass rush because really that comes down to to Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd, not exclusively, but without Von Miller, that, that pass rush looks a little bit different. Um, there's questions about the outside linebacker spot on the other side of the defense with uh, opposite Leonard Floyd. So you have some questions there, but I think the front seven as a whole, when you look at Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, Greg Gaines is kind of an underrated nose tackle in the league right now. Bobby Wagner comes aboard. Ernest Jones is a second-year linebacker who can do some blitzing like Wagner. So you can mix things up a little bit and get some um, rush packages out of him and Wagner, which will help replace Von Miller. And then Ashawn Robinson is a really good run defender. So um, I think the, the front seven overall is the strength of this defense and whether it's stopping the stopping the run or, or pressuring the quarterback. And obviously that starts with Aaron Donald. He's he's the best defensive player in the game right now. And um, even when he gets double teamed and, and teams pay so much attention to him, he's still able to affect the game in so many ways, um, whether he's slipping through the line for, for a tackle for a loss or pressuring the quarterback and um, just making big plays on defense. Um, as far as a weakness, it, it's got to be kind of the, the secondary and, and the depth there. Um, they lost Darius Williams in free agency. They brought back Troy Hill, reacquired him in a trade with the Browns after he left last year. So um, you have Jalen Ramsey, Troy Hill as, as two starting cornerbacks. Beyond that, there's some questions whether it's going to be David Long. Um, you have Jacoby Durant, who's a rookie. Darren Kendrick, who's a rookie. Robert Rochelle, who's a second-year corner. Um, none of those guys have a ton of experience in regular season action. They've all looked pretty good in the preseason and in training camp. But um, if anyone goes down, say if Troy Hill gets injured or David Long goes down, there's just some question marks about the experience and the overall talent level of the of the secondary, especially at cornerback. At safety of Jordan Fuller, Taylor Rapp, Nick Scott, those are all solid, decent safeties who don't make many mistakes and really help against both the run and the pass. But the cornerback position could be a little bit dicey if these younger players aren't able to, to step up and elevate themselves. Yeah. And, you know, without putting that juju out there or without intending to, at least the Rams are an interesting team defensively in particular to me, because ultimately football is a numbers game, right? That's something that we often completely overlook when we're just talking about players and the storylines and everything. But the reality is that 
it's a numbers game. And if you have a player who can change the number dynamic on either side of the ball, it's especially on defense, it changes completely what you can do with all of your other players. One of the reasons the Rams mm-hmm. have so much versatility, which is really the, the strength of their defense, is that they have two players who do change the numbers between Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. You know, one on the defensive line, the other in the secondary. So without, you know, completely delving into all the X's and O's of why that is, they are a team that is precariously perched based on those two guys being healthy for the majority of the season in the playoffs, I think more so than probably almost any other star pairing that just heavily influences what that defense Mm -hmm. can do. So I I just, I think they're all good. You know, like you said, maybe a little potential question about depth or inexperience in the secondary. Other than that, there's really hardly anything to point to, but I think both of those players just really have to stay healthy for another repeat of of what we've seen from them. So before I let you go, I do want to ask you what your expectations are for the season. If you could give me, uh, you know, even if you don't put a number on it, what you expect from the team this season. And if they do make the playoffs, how competitive do you think they will be? Yeah, I think it'll be another good year for them. Um, Obviously they did suffer some losses this off season, but bringing in Bobby Wagner, bringing in Allen Robinson, it helps um, it helps important positions on this roster because they rely so heavily on their wide receivers in the passing game. And then defensively, line, inside linebacker has kind of been a weakness of this team uh, for a few years. So bringing in those two guys helps a lot. I, I can easily see them going, say, 12-5 and five and, and winning the division again. I think the NFC West as a whole is just a little bit weaker this year. Seahawks are falling off. I don't know if I fully trust Trey Lance and the 49ers yet. Cardinals are... They're always a decent team, but I don't know if they're necessarily um, going to unseat the Rams in the West. And and really, the the NFC overall is is a lot weaker with the number of stars that left. Um, whether you're talking Matt Ryan, Devontae Adams, Khalil Mack, just overall, it seems like it's a weaker conference this year. I, I can I can see the Rams making a run to the Super Bowl again. Really, it's going to come down to a health: Matthew Stafford staying healthy, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. And then just Matthew Stafford kind of taking another step in this offense and maybe cutting down on the turnovers a little bit um, and just being a little bit more efficient with his passes and not making so many mistakes um, like we saw at points last season when they kind of struggled in the middle of the year. So I definitely think they're a Super Bowl contender. I think they're the favorites in the NFC West. And uh, really, it's bet- I would say it's between them, the Bucks, the Packers, the Cowboys, and um I mean, there's not much else in, in the NFC right now. The Saints could make a little bit of noise, but um, I think they're right up there as the favorites in the conference. Yeah, no doubt. I'll throw the Eagles out there too is, is that other team that I think can contend. Uh, you know, as far as Matthew Stafford goes, uh, as long as his elbow is good, I have a lot of confidence in him. You know, he'll, he'll never have that risky aspect to his game. I think he'll, he'll always have that with him. But second mm-hmm. year in the offense, second year with the play caller, I do expect at least some of those interceptions and turnovers to be cleaned up a little bit Mm -hmm. Cameron thank you so much for joining me I truly truly do appreciate it can you let everybody know where they can find you whether it be your social media and some of your other work yeah I'm on Twitter at Cam DeSilva and then everything I publish at is at the ramswire.usatoday.com beautiful thanks again Cam and I will ask you to come on possibly again as we get up to the beginning of the season that's a big time season opener and if you have time i would love to hear your thoughts on it 
I appreciate you. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much to everybody who made it all the way through our NFC West Divisional Preview. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And our show can be found anywhere podcasts are available. If you like, you can rate and review, which helps us out quite a bit. This Friday, we will be dropping our AFC West Divisional Preview, which is our final divisional episode for the summer. And next week, we're going to be jumping right into some college previewing, uh, some season predictions, and of course, some fantasy talk as well. So thank you so much, and we will see you very soon.